Hey, uh, welcome. Welcome to Big Valley, especially if this is your first time with us. Over in the venue, thank you, uh, Jackie and uh, Chad, for leading worship. It was fun to be with you guys, hang out with you for a little while this morning. All of you that are watching online, uh, we're grateful you're with us. Maybe you're listening on the radio. Blessings to uh, you. So a um, couple things before I get into this. Last weekend, if you were here, uh, we took the altar room and just brought it out here towards the end of the gathering. And we, uh, over in the venue, we brought the altar room out. And our pastors and wives and elders and wives, we just were all up here. And we ended uh, just by having a great time of prayer. And it was really weighty and special. I want to tell you about two things. So um, uh, I, got, I got a number of emails and texts from people, even last night, last hour, people telling me about what happened since that time we prayed for them. But there were two um, young families, and uh, for whatever reason, God wasn't opening up their womb, and they wanted to get pregnant, but they, they, they just couldn't get pregnant. One of them had even gone to the doctor and was trying to figure out you know, all the reasons there might be why they couldn't get pregnant. And, so they came up, a couple of our elders prayed for them, two different sets of elders. And this week, you know, they got the little plus sign, they're pregnant. Isn't that amazing? Amazing? I told my wife she wasn't allowed to even walk near any of the elders. I don't, want, I don't even want you to get near them. Just stay away for a while, just back off. <laughs> there was a uh, gal who came forward on Saturday night. And uh, her husband got all sideways with, you know, just his walk with the Lord and, and uh, left. And they hadn't seen him in four months. Not called, emailed, anything. And they had uh, children. He had lost his job and just got spun out with depression or whatever and literally hadn't seen him in four months, heard from him, talked to him, anything. Saturday night, uh, we prayed for her, one of our elders, one of our pastors, I don't know who. She goes home after the gathering on Saturday night and her husband is there at the house. Broken, weeping, asking for forgiveness from her, from the kids. Not that everything's all better in a few days, but it was amazing that after prayer, wow, four months, there he is. Now, now, let me tell you, there are other really neat things that took place. And um, unlike a lot of people you might see on TV, the way we kind of do things around here, God's the one who gets the glory, okay? And um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know whether someone prayed for you and, and nothing's happened yet. Keyword yet. If you remember the sermon, even now, God can do anything he wants. He's still a God who does miracles. But it could be that, you know what? For whatever reason, God in his sovereignty chooses not to answer the prayer the way we wanted it answered. Could be. And that doesn't change who God is. Prayer doesn't change him. Prayer changes us, and it does change things, but it doesn't change him. 
And so last week, and I just wanted to give you a little update. It was just really, really special. It was just a great time. And um, uh, today I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12, okay? John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, you can go into the altar room when we're done, we'll give you a free Bible. We, we give out thousands of Bibles here, okay? Um, if you forgot your Bible, all the verses are in the notes. They'll come up on the, on the jumbotrons. If you're visiting with us, we as a church family are walking through the gospel. It's called the Gospel of John uh, together. John was uh, a real close friend of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. John heard many of the great sermons that Jesus preached. John was an eyewitness to many of the miracles that Jesus performed. John was there the day that Jesus died on a cross. John was there when he walked out of the tomb. John was an eyewitness to the life and times of Jesus. And so he writes this gospel, letting us know of some of the things that took place. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. And so we're just kind of walking through the gospel of John together, and all the messages kind of hang on their own. In other words, if you weren't here last weekend, this message will make perfect sense. If you miss a week, don't go, oh man, I missed a week, and somehow that'll goof up you know, my understanding of things. All of them are self-contained uh, messages, and we're in John chapter 12. L look at verse one, okay? Six days before the Passover celebration began, okay? Stop right there. In a week, Jesus is gonna be on a cross. That's how close we are to him dying on a cross, okay? It's real close. Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now, now they're not at the actual house of Lazarus. I'm just stopping for a second here. Uh, in Matthew's account of this, we're actually at a man's, how, uh, man's house named Simon. He was a leper. I'm going to read it in a little bit. But all they're saying here is that Bethany was the hometown of Lazarus. A lot of people out there, they'll look at the account in Matthew, and they'll look at the account in John, and they'll go, see, there's a mistake in your Bible. They, 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 don't, they can't even get on the same page. They don't even know whose house it's in. So if they can't even agree on that, well, maybe the resurrection wasn't real, you know? And all, all you have to do is have, I don't know, about half a cell working and you can figure this out. He's not saying that they were in the house that Lazarus lived in. They're just saying Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Bethany was the home of Lazarus. Modesto is my home, right? That, that, that's, all he's, that's all he's saying here. Uh, look at verse two. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him, reclined with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Let me stop there for a moment real quick. A number of years ago, uh, I had um, bought some cologne, and um, it might come as a shock to some of you, but I, I can get impatient real easy. <laughs> <laughs> it 
So I'm driving in the car, I got my knees steering, and, and I'm opening the box, and you know, and I, I, I thought it was a, one of these things where you just pull the lid thing off, and you know, we're driving, I pull the lid, and it popped the thing, and the bottle flew in the back, and bloop, 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 and it's seeping into my leather, and it's now, you know, permeating my carpet, and um, for about four months, maybe longer, every time I got in the car, it smelled like a perfume factory blew up in the back seat. It was just, whew, it was, it, the fragrance lingered. Anytime anybody got in my car, if I was gonna take them somewhere or whatever, and they hadn't been in my car, it took me 10 minutes to go, okay, I'm not a weirdo, let me tell you what that smell is, okay? I don't have a thousand of those little Christmas trees in my trunk, and it's, you know, blowing through the, 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 the deal. When I read that, I thought to myself, man, how long was it that Simon would get up every morning and smell that smell and it reminded him of this incredible moment? I wonder how many times people came over to his home who, they weren't at the party, they didn't know what happened, but they would walk in and the smell would linger and he would have the chance to tell the story. I wonder how long that fragrance remained in that home. It was a constant reminder of this moment, however long it was there. Look at verse four. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was uh, worth a, a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Now, he didn't, John didn't know that at the time that this was happening in real time. Obviously, later when he writes his gospel, he now knows who Judas was and that he was a, a toad. <laughs> Verse 7, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Wow. That must have been a waiting moment. Here's this woman worshiping Jesus, pouring this perfume, cologne on him, wiping his feet with her hair. And Judas pipes up, and some of the other disciples too. We'll read that in Matthew's account. And Jesus says, leave her alone. I think the room got quiet. This was a weighty thing that was going on. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus had raised from the dead, right? We looked at that last week. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. These are the kind of guys you want discipling your kids. These were the religious leaders. For it was because of him, because of Lazarus, that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. You see, a rabbi 
in the, uh, in the first century would have had a following of people. And so this rabbi had 30 or 40 or 50 people following him, and there'd be another rabbi who would have 30 or 40 or 50 people following him, and there'd be another rabbi who would have a lot of people following him. Every rabbi had their following. Jesus shows up on the scene. Lazarus starts talking about what happened, you know, to him. And now people are leaving these rabbis' congregations, and now they're all following Jesus. Jesus' church is growing, if you will. And the, and the religious folks were angry. Not because their congregations were getting smaller, but when their congregations got smaller, what did that do? It was less money. And that's all they cared about, was the money. So the less people you had, the less money you'd get in the offerings. And so now they've decided, hey, listen, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta take Jesus out. These are the religious leaders. And not only that, let's just go ahead and take Lazarus out while, while we're at it. Let's put a double contract out on these, on these two guys. Now, here's what I want to do. I only have, I'm going I'm to stop right there. I only have one major thought that I want you to walk out of here with. Just, just one. Okay, but, it, but it's super weighty. And then I got a couple of sub points that'll go with it. And uh, then I think it'll lead us to a great time of uh, uh, taking our offering, okay? And here's the major point. The major point is, is worshiping King Jesus should be your primary concern in life. Worshiping Jesus is, is the number one goal or purpose of our lives, if you're a follower of his. Look at verse eight, okay? Just look at verse eight of our text. Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus wants us to care about the poor. You can't miss that in scripture. Jesus isn't disparaging the poor. We are to care deeply about the poor, and we're a church that does, right? I mean, good Sam out there, we help over 300 new families in our city every month, new families, 300 every month out of Good Sam. And the reason why we put so much juice and energy and money and stuff into our Good Sam ministry is because you can't miss the fact that Jesus wants us to care about the poor, okay? But worshiping him is far more important it's your primary purpose in life. Look, here's the deal. There's a time for ministering to the poor and ministering to, uh, I don't know, the sick or ministering to those that are in prison. There's a time to disciple new believers and, and baptize new believers. There's a time to minister to your family, your children or whatever. There's a time for witnessing to the lost. But these are all secondary to worshiping Jesus or adoring Jesus or honoring Jesus. Jesus isn't, you know, disparaging the poor in this phrase. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, is this. Hey guys, listen. Don't worry about the poor right now. Worry about me. I'm in the room right now and I'm not gonna be in this room very much longer. In six days, I'm gonna be dead basically. And I trump the poor. Jesus is to be our primary concern in life. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, right? Number one of the great 10 commandments, 
have no other gods before me. And I think in verse two, we see a number of really neat ways, appropriate ways that we can express our worship to Jesus. Look at verse two, okay? There was this dinner prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those that ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, right? So here's the deal. Martha served Jesus. Lazarus was fellowshipping with Jesus, and Mary poured some expensive perfume on Jesus. She gave Jesus a gift, if you will. These are all legitimate ways that we as human beings can express worship to God. These are all legitimate ways that we can express our love, our adoration uh, uh, to, to, to the Lord. Now, obviously, these three people all were worshiping Jesus in a different way. Obviously, most preachers are going to point to what Mary did. And we'll preach about what Mary did, that you know she spills the thing and the hair and the whole bit. They emphasize that. I get it, and I'm gonna get there. But all three of them are really wonderful ways that we, as God's people, can, can, can worship the Lord or keep him the primary focus on our lives. And I wanna kind of break these down. So here's the subpoint one, if you will. Martha worshiped King Jesus by serving him. That, that was her love language. Martha was always serving. She worshiped Jesus by serving Jesus. She was always, you know, putting new spaghetti on his plate or filling up his, you know, glass when it got empty. Many of us have read, it's a real good book called The Five Love Languages by uh, uh, Gary Chapman. And one of them is Acts of Service. Mary, you could open up his book and there could be a picture of Mary, or Martha, I mean. Martha had the love language of serving. There are other places in the Bible where you see her serving. In fact, she even gets a bad rap in one of the little stories. I think it's unfair, but she, she, she loved to serve. That's how she worshiped the Lord. Serving is one of the great ways you express your love to God. In fact, here's the bottom line. You were created to serve. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. He says, for we are God's workmanship. When you were inside your mother's womb, he put you together. When you were inside your, your mother's womb, he's the one who gave you your legs and your toes and your hands and your feet and all that stuff. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And those two words, good works, you see those two words, are the same words as ministry or service. So God's word says that you were created in Christ Jesus to serve. You were created in Christ Jesus to minister. Your good works don't save you. Your service to God doesn't save you. What saves you is simply entering into a relationship with Christ. That's it, period. But you were created to serve. God has things he wants you to do. 
And the Bible says that he created those things for you to do before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eyes. Before he ever created you, he knew this is what I'm going to have you do. This is how you're going to minister. This is how you're going to serve. According to Ephesians chapter 2, God says, Rick, I created you for ministry. Rick, I created you for service. I created you for good works. But here's the, the super interesting thing about God. Christian, you were created to serve. But God doesn't force you to do it. He simply has shared with you what his will is. You're created to serve. And then, he leaves it up to you. You're either gonna obey or you're not. And when you choose to obey, when you choose to go, man, okay, I, I wanna give my life you know, in service to the Lord, wow. It's one of the ways you express your worship to him. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world. He's talking to us here, right? We're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. That'd be dumb. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Christian, let your good deeds, let your ministry, let your service shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Not only is serving a great way to let the Lord know, I love you and I adore you and I honor you. Thank you for all that you've done. I'm keeping you number one in my life. But it's also a great way to let the world know something about your life. It's one thing to say, I go to church. It's another thing to say, let me tell you where I serve the Lord. That's different. That has a much weightier feel to it than, hey, I go to church. A lot of people go to church. But if you say, you know what, I go to church, I go to, I'm a member at Big Valley Grace, but I don't, I don't just, I just don't attend there. Let me tell you what I love to do. Let me tell you where I serve at my church. I work with three-year-olds, or I hold babies, or I'm an usher, I'm, I sing in the choir, I, I play guitar, I lead a Sunday school class. Whoa. Whoa, all of a sudden, that, that, that's got a different feel to it than just I, I attend a church. I've told you this illustration before. It's a, it's a good one, I think, but maybe not. When my middle daughter was just little, um, we found some, some mice in our backyard, and Dad thought he'd become, you know, Daniel Boone <laughs> and go beaver hunting, pelt hunting. So we got these little traps, and we put them out in the backyard strategically, <laughs> put a little cheese on them or whatever. And so my daughter, Gracie, goes to bed. So it was late at night, and I thought, okay, this is my chance to go out and, you know, check my traps. So I found this flashlight under the bed, and I, nothing. And I know it had battery, nothing. So open the end, and it just corroded. All the batteries had corroded. And I'm like, man, I'm, now I'm all upset. Man, if a, if a hurricane 
hit Modesto, tornado ripped through the, and we lost all our power. All of our flashlights wouldn't work. Man, I was mad and all that. And surprising, right? <laughs> then I did a little research. If you don't use the batteries, see, they're full of juice. And if you don't use it, it just sits there under your bed for a year or two, then all that juice just corrodes the batteries. You see, those batteries are meant to be used. And if you don't use them, they corrode. <laughs> you were created to serve. God has given you, you know, this power source to serve. And if you don't serve, if you make the choice to not serve, you just kind of corrode. I can usually tell when a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord is just kind of corroding. It's amazing. They start nitpicking at little things. Hey, what's that thing? What's that doing up there? That, that red cable really bugs me, man. It's distracting. Hey, hey. My tie dollars going by your little, your little thing up there? Really? Oh, man. That's someone who's corroding, man. Because somebody who's using their one life to serve the king, you know what? Eh, you don't have to like everything, but they're just too busy doing stuff, man. They're just too busy. You know, there's some things worthy to discuss. I get it. The reason why some of you, maybe you're corroding, is because you're just not serving. Because you were made to serve. One of the beautiful things about Martha was she was using her one life in service. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He said, each one, talking about us, should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Look, at the moment you gave your life to, to the Lord, you know, his Holy Spirit came into you and, you, you know, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you got all these great things, but one of, them, one of the things he did was he gave you a gift. I don't know what gift. Some of you have multiple gifts. And he gave you that gift so that you could be a blessing to somebody else. He didn't give you that gift so you could be a blessing to yourself. None of the gifts were given out so that somehow it would be a blessing to you. It was given to you so that you could be a blessing to somebody else. There, aren't you glad that these folks up here decided to use their gifts and lead us in singing and stuff? Aren't you glad that on Friday there's a whole bunch of people that gather in our lobby out there and they fold all these programs and put stuff in them and so you can see what's happening at the church, discipleship opportunities, whatever all those things might be? Those of you that are watching online, aren't you thankful we got guys in here that you know are running the cameras so you can see? Maybe, maybe you're homesick and you couldn't make it today, but you can still worship with your family on, 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 the, on the screen there. 
Aren't you glad that somebody's holding your baby right now so you can come in here and enjoy uh, 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 fellowship and singing and the proclamation of the word? You see, God gives us gifts to serve so we can be a blessing to, to one another. Now, why did God give us these gifts? Well, Paul nails it, goes a little deeper in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now to to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit was given for the common good. In other words, these spiritual gifts were given to us for the purpose of helping each other out. For the common good. We're all a part of a family here. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you, you have a gift. You were created to serve and use that gift to be a blessing to, to others. Listen, when you use your spiritual gift, everybody wins. Just want you to know, the kingdom wins, uh, Big Valley Grace wins, I win. Man, there are some of you that have a gift of encouragement. And whether it's Saturday night, 9 a.m., 11 o'clock, I show up here and it's like, you guys are like magnets. Whoop! Like a tractor beam right on to me and you're gonna spend a second encouraging me. And you walk away with a smile on your face. That was, that was beautiful, thank you. Man, I'm the one who benefited because you used your gift, you see? And by the way, you win because you don't corrode when you use your, your gifts. But when you choose not to use your spiritual gifts, whether it be because you simply refuse not to use it or because you don't know what it is, I want you to know everybody loses. And you might be sitting out there right now going, man, I don't know where I'm supposed to serve. Let me give you just a thought, okay? When I first gave my life to Christ, here's what I did. I, I, I intuitively knew I was a part of a family and I needed to do something. I saw ushers walking around. I knew there were Sunday school classes. Everybody was doing stuff. And it was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I went in and worked with children. I went into like, I don't know, second grade class. Hey, can I help? Okay. So I go in and I was going, oh. This, this ain't for me. And then, you know, I didn't, show up, I didn't show up the next week. And then I thought, and no joke, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could, you know, I, babies, well, how hard could that be, you know? So I went in with the babies. Their head was going all the way. You know, I don't even think I made it the whole thing. I think I made it about 30 minutes and said, hey, look, I'm not good. And they all, the, the ladies all went, yeah, you're right, get out. And, and it was like, right. You know, I just kind of bumbled my way around. And, and, and then I got into working with adolescents, and then it was like, hey, this, hey, wait a minute, I think I found my spot. And there's nothing evil in going into a place and trying it out, and it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then you go, you know what, I just, I don't know. You know, hey, you know, I think I'd like to run a camera. All right, go run the camera. And if, you know, during the broadcast, you lose focus, and now the camera's over there, it's over, oh, oh, you know. We'll get somebody else. <laughs> it didn't work. You couldn't stay focused. I, I, would, I couldn't do, be a cameraman. I'd be, I'd be pointing it on the back of your guys' heads. and I just couldn't sit still. I, I oh, uh, locked on to one guy. No way. Or you could call the church and say, hey, look, I don't know where I'm supposed to serve. Can you help me? And we'll help you. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, sometimes it doesn't, but just do something. Just, just figure out where you're gonna be Martha at. Because it's a beautiful way, beautiful way to worship the Lord. Now, now what was Lazarus doing? 
Okay, Lazarus worshiped King Jesus by fellowshipping with him. He's reclining at the table talking with Jesus. He was enjoying a meal with Jesus. By the way, I was wondering what they talked about. I have an idea. I got the feeling Lazarus leans over, you know, and says, hey, Jesus, those four days, whoa! Remember, Lazarus was dead for four days. And Jesus went, I don't want you talking about it. Because it's interesting. Nothing's recorded from Lazarus about what happened, what it was like during those four days. Nothing. Now, I got the feeling, John, well, who wouldn't? John, hey, listen, Lazarus, um, you were dead four days. Yeah, can you, uh, can you give me a little... Uh, was there a big light? I mean, you know, I mean, well, God didn't want it recorded. There's only a handful of guys in the Bible that ever saw, got a glimpse of heaven. Paul did. And God said, you're not to write about it. Those that did, See heaven, it was like when they record it, it's almost like they were on LSD. They write these weird things because they're trying to describe something that's undescribable. Now there's a bunch of yahoos today that'll tell you they went to heaven. And they sat around and talked with Jesus and did a bunch of stuff. It's all just ludicrous. In the scriptures, anybody that met up with Jesus fell on their face as if they were a dead man when they came into the presence of Jesus. Today, you get all these guys writing stuff, and it's, it gets you on a speaking tour. You make a lot of money. You can make up anything you want to make up, because who's going to challenge it? You've never been there. So who are you to say? Everything God wanted you to know about heaven is right here. This is it. This is it, right here. Anybody tells you they died and went to heaven and they're telling you all about it? Uh, I don't put my stock in that kind of stuff. That's just, that's childish. So how do we worship Jesus by fellowshipping with him today? How, how, how do we pull that off? Well, I think there's lots of ways, but let me give you the big one, okay? Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter five. He's talking to a bunch of religious leaders who obviously they, they didn't have the Bible like we have. They didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament. They had the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the religious leaders would have not only had those books, carried those books with them, but they would have had them all memorized. And they thought that because they had the Torah, not only had the Torah, but they understood the Torah. And not only did we understand the Torah, but we have it memorized. They thought that because they had these religious writings that somehow that made them right with God. Okay, and Jesus says this in John chapter five. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. You think that simply because you own the Torah or you have the Torah or you memorize the Torah that somehow that's what makes you right with God. You guys have missed it. The scriptures point to me. See, the whole Bible from Genesis 
to, to Malachi, those 39 books in the Old Testament. Genesis 1 and 2 is all about the fact that God creates everything and then creates us. Genesis chapter 3, we read about the fall of man, Adam and Eve sin against God. And basically, from chapter 3 on, it's the story of redemption. God is going to send a Messiah. God is going to send a Savior. Literally, every book in the Old Testament, whether it's Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, uh, Isaiah, Nehemiah, it doesn't matter who it is, all are talking about the fact that the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming, Jesus is coming. When you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, where we see the birth of the church, all the way through Revelation, those 27 books in the New Testament are all about the fact that Jesus came. This is a book that is about Jesus, period. Now, there's a lot of great information in here on how to have a great marriage. There's a lot of great information in here on how to handle your finances. There's a lot of great information in here on how to raise your children. A lot of great information in here on how to be a, a, a God-honoring business owner, how to be a great employee. But this book primarily is about Jesus, period. That's what this book is about. So how do you pull off what Lazarus did? You recline with Jesus and his word. You get yourself a cup of coffee, get some tea, and just sit down and read the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. Because it's the scriptures. That's how we pull off what Lazarus did. Obviously, Jesus isn't physically here anymore. It's the scriptures. In fact, uh, Paul says in Colossians chapter three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter four, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Paul said in 2 Timothy, all scriptures inspired by God, all of it is God breathed. God supernaturally came upon all the writers of the scripture and had them write exactly what God wanted them to write. Now they wrote it in their own personalities, but it was all what God wanted. And he says that all scripture, that means all of the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament, and there's a whole lot of guys out there that seem to be kind of jacking up the Old Testament nowadays. A lot of pretty solid guys are saying, hey, we don't really need the Old Testament anymore. But the Bible says that all of the scripture is God-breathed. And all of it is used to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It, all of the scriptures correct us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it all of it from Genesis through Revelation, all of it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Here's the bottom line. When you spend time in the word, it's like you're Lazarus reclining at the table with Jesus. That's what it is. What a wonderful way to express your love to Jesus. Hey, you stop serving and now you say, I just want to, I want to be like Lazarus. I just want to be with you, Jesus. That's all I want to do. Hang out with you in your word. Because every time you read something from this book, you're hearing the voice of Jesus.
every, every, every time you read through, through the scriptures. Let me give you one real good practical reason why you need to recline at the table with Jesus and, and listen to him through his word. King David said this in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David was now in great danger, this is King David, because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters. In fact, they began to talk about stoning him. Okay, he's having a bad day. But David found strength by pulling himself up by his bootstraps. And say, David found strength by thinking positive thoughts. Now, I'm, I'm for thinking positive things. The opposite would be negative, but I didn't say that either. David found strength by reading Tony Robbins' new book. I didn't say that either. He found strength when he reclined at the table and fellowshiped with Jesus. Now, obviously, he didn't have the Bible like we have it. But it's when he would spend time worshiping God by spending time with him and listening to him. Whoa, that's what gave him the strength. That's what brought him encouragement. Not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Not by somehow thinking positive things about your life. Not that there's anything evil in that. But let me tell you something. This, this life we're in can be tough at times. You may not be able to, your spouse may not be around to give you some encouragement. Your friends may not be around to give you some encouragement. You may be in a place where, you know what, there isn't anybody except for the Lord. And he can give you strength. He can encourage you when those difficult moments come. So Martha served, Lazarus uh, fellowshiped, and now we get to Mary, okay? Uh, Mary worshiped King Jesus by giving him a, a, a gift. And as I said earlier, this is what most preachers uh, emphasize because what she did was just super cool, okay? In Matthew's gospel, he gives us a few extra details that John doesn't. Matthew chapter 26 says this. Meanwhile, while uh, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples, not, not just Judas Iscariot, there were multiple disciples. They were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, and here we go. Here's fulfilled prophecy happening right now. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Is that freaky or what? That happened 2,000 years ago, and guess what we're doing right now? We're discussing it. We're discussing what a gal named Mary, you don't even know her last name. 2,000 years ago, she had this gift, a year's salary. Think that through. And, and here she is. 
She's watching Martha, her sister, more spaghetti and running around, you know, getting the iced tea and, you know, filling up all the guys' juice. And she's watching this all go down. She sees Lazarus there thinking, whoa, man, he was dead and Jesus raised him from the dead. There's Simon. She knew Simon was a leper. Now he's healed. And she's just taking this all in. And she can't stand it. I don't think this was planned. I don't think she went, oh, there's a party at Simon the leper's house. Okay, I think I'll take my alabaster jar of stuff. And I mean, this, this was unplanned. I don't know if she ran home real quick. I don't know. But all of a sudden, she can't stand it. And while this conversation is going on around the table, it was probably just men, she walks over and pours this perfume over his head and it's running down his legs and it gets to his feet and then she undoes her hair and in that culture, that was a no-no. Women didn't undo their hair, but she does. She didn't care. She didn't care what the culture says and it all falls. And there she is, worshiping Jesus by giving him this gift. I'm sure Lazarus was watching this. I'm sure Simon was going, whoa. I'm sure Martha thought, oh, crud, I gotta clean that up. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is another thing she's gotta do, you know. Um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what she thought. this was crazy Proverbs 3 says honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce I I think Mary knew that She she knew the scriptures she knew she had heard him teach seen the miracles she knew she didn't have it all figured out but she knew And she knew Jesus was worth this year's worth of salary. Now, she didn't have a 401k or a 403b. There wasn't, you know, a savings account down at Wachovia or anything like that. She doesn't care. She didn't care what it's worth. And there she is. It's one of the great ways that we honor the, the, the Lord is when we give him a gift. And sometimes the best gifts are when you're least expected. And you just, you're overwhelmed with what Christ has done in your life. And it isn't well thought through. Listen to what King David said in 1 Samuel chapter 24. That day Gad came to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Aruna saw the king and his men coming towards him, he came out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king, Aruna asked. And David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will... He'll stop the the, the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, 
and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and, and you can use the threshing boards and oxen yokes for the wood to build a fire on the altar. I'll give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. That's a nice thing. This Aruna guy's a pretty generous guy. He says, hey, look, man, I'm with the king. I'll just, I'll just give it to you. you. You can have the threshing floor. I'll, I'll give you all the wood for the, I'll give you the ox. This is a, just take it. And that was a nice gesture. But the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on buying it for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. In other words, he understood that when you bring a gift to the Lord, there ought to be a sacrifice behind it. If, if you give me $5 and I put it in the basket, that, what sacrifice is that to me? The sacrifice would have all been Aruna. Kind thing. But David understood this idea that, wait a minute, Look, I, I, I'm not going to take something from you and offer it to the Lord. I, I want to pay for this. I want to, I, I want to be a part of this. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there are the desires of your heart will be also. Obviously, Mary has a year's worth of this nard. Is there any question where her heart was? A year, your salary. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask the band to come out and we've got some baskets up here. There's baskets up over in the, in the venue. And we're just, I'm gonna ask you, whether you're up in the balconies, mezzanine, wherever, just come forward and, and bring your wife with you or your husband with you or your kids with you. If, you know, just come as a family and bring a gift, and you might be thinking, well, I get paid on the 15th, and I'm not. You can bring something, can't you? Maybe this is just one of those moments that's just unplanned. And it's not gonna be your regular offering, I get it, but you know what, I'm gonna come forward, I'm gonna give a gift. I'm, I'm gonna worship the Lord, and when I come forward with my wife or my husband or my kids, I'm gonna make this a moment as we sing this song, that I just recommit myself to you. Maybe somehow worshiping the king has not been your primary focus this week. What a great moment as we just follow the example of Mary. You know, people have been serving around here all day. We've been doing exactly what Lazarus did. We've been in the word, relaxing, reclining with, with Jesus and his word. And now we're just going to do what Mary did. And during the song, come and bring your gift. Over in the venue, just go forward, bring your gift. And then go back and stand. And then I'll pray. I got one last little thought. And, 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 and so just enjoy this song and worship. And we've got plenty of time. Father, thank you, Lord, for this moment where we get to worship you by bringing our gifts. May there be great joy in your house now. And I pray this in your name. Amen. And you guys just keep coming forward. This is way more important than whatever, whatever I'm gonna say. Just keep coming forward and bring, bring your gifts to the Lord. But as you're standing there over in the venue, got one last little thought for you to think about. Martha served Jesus. Lazarus 
fellowship with Jesus, listened to Jesus, and Mary gave to Jesus. And as I said, these are all great expressions of worship. But I do want you to understand something, Christian. Worshiping King Jesus can be hazardous to your health. All of a sudden, one of Jesus' disciples, Lazarus, was on hit list. There were forces at work that didn't want Lazarus out talking about Jesus, talking about what Jesus had done, talking about Jesus and the ways that he was. And so, you know, I got to take him out. And that sounds kind of weird to us in America, I get it. But did you know in the last hour and a half that we've been in here, Somewhere on planet Earth, there was a brother of ours in the Lord or a sister of ours in the Lord who was killed because of their faith. It's happening right now while we live in relative safety and peace here in Modesto, California, in this church. Literally, every day, there are believers, our brothers and our sisters in the Lord who are dying simply because they have made Jesus their primary focus. Worshiping him is the primary focus of their lives. And you can see the handwriting on the wall, right? I mean, America's certainly changing. We're still safe, as relatively speaking. But this nation's changing. There are forces at work that the last thing they want is for a bunch of Lazaruses to be running around talking about Jesus, worshiping Jesus, making Jesus the primary focus of their life. The world will come after it, come after you, come after us as a church. It can, really can be hazardous to your health. Father, thank you, Lord, for a great weekend. May we have a really fun time out there fellowshipping around all those sandwiches, all those Aram sandwiches. I hope people stay for a while. Father, you're good to us. You're really good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray this in your name. And all the guys people said, amen. amen. Hey, live for Christ, okay?